right, well, good morning, everyone. Nice to see each of you out on this beautiful, sunny morning that we have. <laughs> Actually, are we going to get snow, I think? Maybe tonight or this week or... Okay, they keep pushing it out. Those weather men and women, they, they've got that down to a science, don't <laughs> they? You can trust them. <laughs> Well, um, this morning, why don't you take your Bibles? We're going to be in the book of First um, Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter number one, here this morning. I don't have a slide um, presentation or PowerPoint for you this morning. You're going to have to pay attention. It's a fairly simple outline if you do like to take notes or after the lesson, I'll just give you my notes if, if you want them that bad. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and this morning I want us just to look uh, at the subject, or I want to speak on the subject of the importance of church unity. Now, of course, uh, we hear a lot about unity today, um, speaking of <laughs> the weather, uh, the, the media. I mean, if it, I, I don't know about you, but I've uh, lately I've just tended to shut the the media off, but if you were listening to it or reading uh, the newspaper, reading online, you probably have heard a lot about unity, uh, in particular this week. You know, as a nation, I, I think it goes without uh, saying, I think most people would agree, certainly in politics, uh, there's a lot of unity being talked about today, but, you know, as a nation, I think it's pretty clear just how divided this country is, and so we got to continue to pray for America that uh, we, you know, uh, that we that we aren't so divided. But uh, unity is talked a lot about today, is it not? Well, this morning I would like to talk on the subject of church unity. Uh, this is a very important subject, and so here in First uh, Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter number one. And I want to begin reading in verse number 10, read down to verse 18. Here Paul is writing, of course, uh, this book, or the it's a letter or an epistle to the church there in Corinth. And uh, this was a church that I would say um, it lacked unity. There was uh, much division in it. And uh, here in verse number 10, look with me as I read. You can follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 10. Uh, Paul it writes here, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are some contentions among you. Now I say this, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, or Peter, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I have baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the house of Stephanas. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. 
but unto us which are saved. It is the power of God. Well, like I said, I want to speak on the subject of the importance of church unity. And, you know, in today, this is a subject that I would say occupies the thoughts and desires of many throughout the religious world. You know, uh, I mentioned politics. There's a call for unity, of course, right now. Well, in the religious world, there has been this call for for quite some time. Um, you know, there's for, for some time, there's been a movement to bring about Christian unity. It's uh, known as the ecumenical movement, been around probably for 60 or 70 years going on. And what this is, is, you know, churches from different uh, religions or Christian denominations, we all need to come together in unity. And, um, you know, what they what they uh, they um, oftentimes appeal to are the words that Jesus spoke. You don't need to turn there, but over in John chapter 17 and verse 21 there, Jesus was praying. And in his prayer, right before actually he got betrayed there in the garden, Jesus prayed this. He said to his father, of course, that's who we, we are to pray to. Jesus was praying to God the Father, and he said that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. You know, this call for unity in, uh, in Christianity um, you know, there's only one way to achieve uh, this kind of unity. And the, the way that you do it is you set aside doctrine. You, uh, the plain teachings of the word of God. You know, what is doctrine? Well, the, the way to heaven is doctrine, salvation, um, sanctification. You know, if you set aside the doctrines of, uh, of the word of God and you say, well, okay, the, the, there are many ways to heaven, then sure, you could have unity. Well, that's just not, uh, that's not important. That's why many say doctrine divides, love unites. Well, when we look at the Lord's Prayer in John 17, this was a unity based upon truth. It's so important. Over in John 17, verse number 6, earlier on, Jesus said, they have kept thy word. So he's talking about the word, which is truth. In verse 8 and um, 14 of John 17, Jesus said, I have given them thy word. Jesus was praying this, speaking about the word. Sanctify them, verse 17 of John chapter 17. Jesus said this, sanctify them, or he prayed this, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so it is not a spirit of unity. Many churches today, uh, they want uh, this spirit of unity where we all get along. We all, uh, Christianity as a whole, but the, uh, they want a spirit of unity. But really what Jesus was talking about here in John 17 was not this mystical kind of spirit of unity he was talking about unity of the spirit so they all believe the same thing uh, ephesians chapter 4 talks about that it says the holy spirit 
The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. You know, while, you know, we we certainly, you know, as a church, we certainly don't bear any ill for those uh, those uh, calling for uh, this unity, but really they're denying truth. Our loyalty must be to Christ and to the word of God. That is truth. And so in our text here this morning, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, our text addresses the real, uh, the, you know, the issue of real unity, the uh, unity of the body. And if you notice, if, you're, uh, if you've got your Bibles, look in verse number 2, this letter or this epistle that Paul is writing. Notice this, that first of all, it is addressed to the church, to the body. Verse number 2 uh, this is not a letter that Paul was writing to all of Christendom. He wasn't writing this to just Christians all around the world at that time. He was writing this to a specific church, to a body. And uh, in fact, he starts the letter or the epistle by saying in verse number two, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. Now, I don't need to tell you what the definition of a church is because um, it's it's preached and taught from this pulpit just about every Sunday, right? So it's a local, visible uh, body of uh, believers. And, and that's what Paul is writing to here. He's writing to a church, not all of all believers um, around the world. And when you read through the epistle, you can see the appeal for unity um, is based upon sound doctrine. See, unity is not obtained by abandoning sound doctrine. Unity is obtained by uh, surrounding um, sound doctrine. Now, I, un- I know many of you are familiar with this letter by Paul, but this letter uh, here in 1 Corinthians reveals really a first century church, one of the one of the first churches that was around, and this was a church that was plagued uh, by division. It was plagued by disorder. Um, it was really, when you read this letter in its entirety, this whole letter or this epistle written by Paul is an epistle of rebuke. There's not much, um, much praise going on in this letter. It was rebuke. Because this was a church that was dysfunctional. It had division. It had disorder. Things were not being done in an orderly fashion. Now, the apostle begins this letter by reminding the church what Christ has done. This is important. Look in verse number 4. Verse number 4. Again, we're going we're gonna to get into the importance of church unity. He's writing this letter to a church that had very little unity there was a lot of disorder but he starts this by reminding the church of a few things and the first is the grace of christ in verse number four he says i thank my god always on your behalf for the grace of god which is given uh, you by jesus christ you know the the wonderful gift of salvation he reminds them of that and then he goes on in verse number five and speaks about the riches of christ Look, he says that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance 
and in all knowledge. In verse 7, he goes on, he says, So that ye come behind in no gift. And so the, the benefits of Christ and how Christ is the one that enriches, uh, enriches the church. He gives the church great hope. In verse 7, if we continue reading in verse number 7, it's uh, Jesus Christ. He, his coming is our hope. He says, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have hope today because we know that according to the word of God, Jesus is going to return. He gives us the gift of salvation, grace. He enriches us. He gives us hope. The church, the believers, he gives us hope and he is faithful. He never breaks a promise. That's really what verses 8 and 9 uh, are dealing with. His, he's never changing. Uh, Paul says this early on in the letter. He re, he's reminding them of a few things. He's reminding the church of what Christ has done for them. In verse 8, Who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who by ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So he reminds the church of some things that Christ has done for them, but then in verse number 10, and this is where we began reading in our text, he then begs the church to consider unity. In verse 10, he says, I beseech you, brethren, I beg you, brethren, or Christians, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions. You know, one of the key verses of this whole letter is this epistle is in chapter 14, verse uh, 40, where Paul writes, he says, let let all things be done decently and in order. And this was a church seriously divided. This is not, the church in Corinth is not one that we, Corridor Baptist Church, want to uh, emulate, but we do want to learn from it. There are some things to learn. This was a church seriously divided. They were divided over personal rights. Members were more concerned about themselves than other members. Um, there were members suing one another, doing business dealings, and then going after fellow church members, taking them to court. They were more concerned about their own individual rights versus the the other members in the church. Um, they were uh, divided over spiritual gifts. Members were more concerned about a show. Look at my gifts. And uh, they were concerned over ministry positions. The, these are all things that can happen in churches today. They all can happen. You know, uh, well, how does so-and-so get to have that ministry? And I want that ministry. Well, that ought not to take place in the Lord's church. But it was happening in this church in Corinth. Uh, those that were least esteemed. So there were ranks. You know, Some members were more esteemed. Others were of lower esteem. That ought not to happen. But for our lesson here this morning... The question, why is it important that a church be unified? And what 
that unity means. And so uh, two, uh, two points this morning, two things I want us to look at. Number one, I want us to look at the causes of disunity, the causes of disunity. And then secondarily, we'll look at the characteristics of unity. But first, the causes of disunity. Now, there are two major causes of disunity in a New Testament church, and they're given to us. Uh, we're going to look at the two that are given to us in our text. The causes of disunity, and there were two that are given in our text. The first is the exalting of men, and the second was um, baptismal confusion. Uh, so first, the exalting of men, and this is in verses 11 and 12, we see this, particularly that of leadership in the church, the exalting of men. What are the causes of disunity? Well, it can be a result, and it happened here in the church in Corinth. They were exalting men, those that were in leadership. Look in verse number 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. And so there was contention taking place. And this can happen, um, you know, for uh, looking at these, these men, uh, for who they are and what they have accomplished you know there there are paul apollos and cephas or cephas was peter now these three men are mentioned these were all jews if you know anything about paul and apollos and peter all jews but different types of jews uh, paul was a roman jew and we know paul was a great bible teacher he was a church planter, a missionary, and there were those in the church that saw Paul, and maybe they, uh, they were Romans themselves, a Roman Jew. Um, but nonetheless, they, they looked at Paul, and they, they exalted him. Uh, there were those uh, that looked at Apollos. Now, Apollos was a Grecian, but the Bible tells us uh, some things about Apollos elsewhere that he was a wonderful speaker, a wonderful preacher, told the best stories, a great orator. And so there are people that in this church, they're like, well, you know what? I'm following Apollos. He's uh, I just like his preaching. It tickles my ears or or, you know, whatever the case may be. Paul is too rough. He's um, uh, and he was probably that way, more direct to the point. But then there was Cephas, or Peter. Now, Peter was a Hebrew, a Hebrew Jew. But Peter was a great leader. He was, the, um, you know, there in Jerusalem, he was um, the, the first uh, or the, the second pastor of that church in Jerusalem. Jesus was the first. He started it. But they look at Peter, and, you know, Peter was a changed man when Jesus um, went back up to heaven. And uh, he, he, was a, he was a great leader. And so you had this division, and you had uh, this division happening in the church where a third of the church followed Paul. A third was looking at Apollos. And they were, what they were doing was they were exalting men and saying, well, 
I'm following, and then there were some that said, well, I'm following Christ. And so you actually had four divisions. Now, Paul set the record straight. Turn over to chapter number three. Chapter number three, a little later on in his epistle to the church or letter to the church. Chapter number three, look in verse number three. Paul says this, for ye are yet uh, carnal, for whereas there are among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. And uh, so Paul is now setting them straight. Verse number six, he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. See how Paul is setting them straight? Why are you lifting up men? Why are you lifting up uh, these these uh, missionaries or uh, church planters or pastors and uh, that have uh, done great works it's not them it's God that gives the increase he sets them straight you know the Bible's very clear when it comes to you know pastors and men of God they are to be honored we are to honor our pastor uh, we are to obey church members our pastor we are to follow them the Bible says we are to highly esteem them. That means set them higher than, you know, we are to put them in a place of respect. The word of God, in fact, commands it to the church. But we are never to idolize them. That's what this church was doing is they were looking at these men and they were idolizing them and saying, well, I'm we're followers of Paul. And the same thing can happen today with with um uh in churches you know we are to esteem those that are in authority pastors we are never though to idolize them or follow them blindly over in hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7 it tells us this it says remember them that have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of god whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And so the Bible is very clear that we are to follow them. We are to esteem them and honor and obey them and follow them as long the, as though they are following Christ. And so that is, uh, that is uh, what the word of God says. But here's the, here's the key. It is Jesus Christ who needs to be lifted up. And that's what Paul does. Get back, um, well, turn back to chapter number one. In this epistle, we see Paul doing just that. In uh, chapter one and verse 18, we read this. Um, I'm just going to skim through some verses and, and show you that it is, uh, as Paul is writing this letter to them, He's pointing them to Jesus, pointing them to Christ. Don't lift up or exalt men, lift up Christ. In verse 18, he says, For we preach 
uh, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved. It's the power of Apollos? No, of God. God is the one that saves. Not Pastor House, not any other pastor or man of God. God is the one that does it. In chapter or, uh, verse 22, um, uh, well, uh, it's it's he goes on he says the jews require a sign verse 22 the greeks seek after wisdom but we preach christ crucified unto the jews it's a stumbling block unto the greeks foolishness but unto them which are called both jews and greek christ the power of god and the wisdom of god and uh there's there's more um at the very end of chapter number one we see in verse 29, um, the very ending of this chapter, um, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Uh, but of him ye are in Christ Jesus, whom of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You know, aren't you glad if you're saved today that you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ and that you don't have the righteousness of Steve House, right? I mean, we need the righteousness of Christ. It's what saves. And that's what Paul is saying to them. You could go on into the next chapter, chapter 2, verse number 2. Paul keeps pointing them to Jesus or to Christ and what he has done. Um, He says, verse 2 of chapter 2, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 5. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I mean, he does this all throughout the epistle. Get your eyes off of men. Quit lifting up men or yourselves. Look to Jesus. He is the one that needs to be. Well, there's more. We'll keep it at that. It's so important, though, that as a church, we keep our eyes on Christ. He is what unifies us. If we divert our eyes to man or any, you know, any man, a pastor or anyone, if it's not Christ, there's going to be this disunity that takes place. The Bible says one Lord, one head. Um, When we lose sight of Christ and what he has done and does for us, it will cause division. It did in this church in Corinth and in and in other areas. So there, uh, our text gives us two causes of disunity. The first is the exalting of men. But number two, there uh, is baptismal confusion. Verse 13 of chapter 1 in our text is, says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God and I that I baptized none of you. And then uh, he goes down in verse 17. He says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. There apparently in this church, there was some confusion taking place in the area of baptism. Um, two key thoughts here on this. Baptism does not say, If you're trusting in your baptism to save you, then 
you err from the scriptures. Look in verse 17. Uh, Paul, or we just read this. Paul says, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. We talked about this, um, you know, the, the, uh, a few weeks ago. The purpose of the church, <laughs> you know, it's not to baptize people. It's to preach the gospel. Paul was sent by God not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Why is that? Because it's the gospel that saves. It's the gospel message that saves. Now, some people apparently uh, had some confusion in this area. Uh, baptism, though, is a divisive issue. It always has been. Even uh, it was back in the, the first century, it was divisive. We're just reading about how divisive it was. If you read through history for the last 2,000 years, it has been a very divisive issue. Ephesians 4 verse 5 tells us that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. There are, um, However, today in Christianity or in Christendom, there are various kinds of baptism that are practiced. Salvation and baptism, they are requirements for membership in a church. But to take an open stance, if our church took an open stance to baptism and said, well, we'll accept for church membership, you just need to be saved and baptized of, you know, either by immersion or by sprinkling or whatever, if a church takes an open stance to baptism, it just creates confusion. It creates confusion. Now, this stand of scriptural baptism, it is what has distinguished Baptist churches for centuries, and it has cost our forefathers uh, dearly with their blood. This issue, this divisive issue of baptism, Baptism is one of the foundational doctrines of the church. And, you know, with any doctrine, there, there is a, uh, if there is disagreement or confusion, it will cause division, which destroys a church's unity. And so our text gave us two causes for disunity in this church. One, and they can both happen today, the exalting of men. There was also this... Um, confusion around the doctrine of baptism and you know what they caused a lack of unity there was no unity there was division in the church it is important for a church to have unity so what are some characteristics of unity and uh, we'll, we'll uh, conclude with this what constitutes real unity uh, now does that mean that does it require each church member to be a clone? Are we all supposed to be exactly the same? No, that's not it at all. Uh, independent Baptist churches, they're voluntary. Um, they, we don't have a, a creed um, like, a, like many denominations. Each church will have its own characteristic, uh, character. Isn't that interesting? Have you, have you ever visited another independent Baptist church? They, they're not the, it's a, sometimes if you're away 
for a period of time. Isn't it nice to come back to your church, right? I mean, we've got our own character. We're all, we've got, we're all characters, I suppose. Um, it's different. Every church has, has a different character. So we're not all to, when we talk about unity or characteristics of unity, understand it's not all that you conform to my character or the pastor's character, although there will, there, uh, we're going to get into some similarities here. Each member within the church is distinctive. And um, it's, it's unity with diversity. Um, over in uh, 1 Corinthians, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians, um, chapter 12. Why don't you turn over there? Uh, chapter 12. <clears throat> this is a rather long letter Paul writes, right, <laughs> to this church. And um, chapter 12, verse number 4. So again, same book in the Bible, same epistle. Paul's writing to the same church, and he talks about diversity. Verse number four, he says, Now there are diversity, diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are divisions of administration, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is, of, it is the same God which worketh in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. Um, and then uh, verse 11. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. What is Paul talking about here? Well, he's talking about the diversity of gifts in the church. Uh there is a diversity of gifts that God gives the church. He gives members. He sets members into the church. They have different gifts. But here's the key. Diversity, yes, but the same spirit, the same Holy Spirit. And so um, there are some things, however, there, there are some things we must be won over, uh, all the same. And so get back to our text, chapter number 1 and verse 10. Okay, so understand in a church, there is diversity of gifts. Thankfully, that is the case, right? Um, but the same spirit, there ought to be the same spirit. And so there are some things that we must as a church of uh, of a local body of believers, how even though we all have different gifts, we must be one at. We must have the same. And I, I want you to notice three things here in verse number 10. Paul spells it out pretty plain. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. Same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Those, those same things, same thing, same mind, same judgment. These are three areas that as a church, these are characteristics of unity. Uh, regardless of, you know, each one of our idiosyncrasies, um, our preferences. We all have different preferences. 
We all have different habits. These three things need to be common in our church. Uh, these three things, the same thing, the same mind, the same judgment. Let me uh, mention these and then we'll wrap up. Speaking, first of all, speaking, Paul says in verse 10, speak the same thing. Yes, we're diverse. We all have different habits and characteristics, but we all ought to speak the same thing. This is a united message. Look in verse 12 at what was going on in the church. Some were saying they're of Paul. Some were saying they their message was that of Apollos. Some were of Cephas. Some were of Christ. They were not speaking the same thing. But look in verse 23. Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. So a clear, united message. You know, our community here in Hillsboro needs to hear a clear message. It needs to hear a clear message. What is the church, the purpose of the church? Is it to be a charity for those? Now, there's nothing wrong with helping out those that are needed, that, that have needs. Are we a food bank? Is that the purpose? No, as a church, we need to have the same thing, the same message. Our community needs to hear a clear message. The world is waiting to hear the message of salvation. Christ crucified is what he says. We preach Christ crucified. That is the message that we all ought to speak. Christ crucified. Why? Why was Christ crucified? Well, he was crucified because we're sinners. And without Christ crucified, we couldn't have salvation. We couldn't have eternal life. That is the clear message that a church, every church, and certainly this church, needs to speak. We need to speak the same thing. Christ crucified. A unified message. But number two... That is the, that's the message. Um, we ought to have a unified mission or uh, be of the same mind. Number two, Paul goes on. We ought to speak the same thing. That's Christ crucified, a united message. And then he goes on that you be uh, perfectly joined together in the same mind. This is a united mission. Uh, Paul, in this epistle, had to chastise the church because of what they're their focus or their mission was um, it, over in uh, chapter 11, verse 21. It says uh, that they were eating everyone, was taking before his um, before the other of his own supper. One is hungry and another is drunken. In chapter 14 and verse 26, he asked the question, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue? hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. And so you can see this church did not have the same mind. They all had their own agenda, their own uh, mission, so to speak. That's why in Philippians 2, verse 5, Paul wrote to uh, the, a different church. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. Now, what was the, the mind of Christ? 
Well, Christ had a mission of love. He was a servant first. He was a servant. And within the body, um, that is the same uh, mission we ought to have. Um, with, within the church, we ought to love one another. We ought to serve one another. That's how, that, is, that is being of the same mind. We ought not to come to church thinking, what am I going to get out of it? Or how can I benefit? No, I ought to think about, you know, my, the other believers in the church, other members in the church. But, you know, outside of the church, it's the same thing. We ought to, we ought to have the mission of love to reach uh, those that need the clear message, the same uh, thing that we talked about. And so that is being of the same mind. And then exercising, last of all, the same judgment. And this, um, if you look over to chapter 2, uh, we're almost done here. Chapter number 2 and verse number 9. Uh, this, um, this is speaking... Um, 1 Corinthians 2, verse uh, number 9. Um, well, for the sake of time, I was going to read this. I know I'm just... Um, this is speaking of, of doctrine here. We ought to have this... Judgment here is speaking of doctrine. Not judging others or their hearts or their motives, but of the same doctrine. And, and um, I'd rather actually... Uh, we're running out of time, so I'd rather read to you Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse 11, where Paul, again, he's writing, he gave to the church some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto a measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, that we be henceforth no more children, or no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speak the truth in love, may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by, uh, by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so this exercising of the same judgment, it talks about doctrine in this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse number 11 judgment here of the same judgment we all ought to believe the same thing the same doctrine yes there's going to be differences um, but that's why God gave the church pastors to uh, to preach uh, doctrine so that there can be a unity of the faith and so in closing if we are to continue to go forward as a church we must all be on the same page in these areas. In the same page. Be of the same thing, of the same mind. 
having the same judgment. Church unity is so important. You know, above all, above all, being in the same on the same page, but above all else, keep our eyes on Christ, not man. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the foundation of this church. Christ is the message of this church. Without Christ, we would we wouldn't even be here this morning. So he ought to be the focus. And we ought to always consider what Christ has done for us. Um, you know, in chapter 1, and we've read these verses, number 1, we know Christ. He has saved us. If you know Jesus as your Savior, he has saved you. That's why Paul said, you know, the preaching of the cross, the preaching of Christ to those that are lost, to the it's foolishness. But, you know, to us, it's something different. It's not foolish. It's the power of God. It means something completely different to us because we've been saved. To the world, the, uh, meeting here this morning, it's foolishness. It's a waste of an hour or two of your Sunday. But to us, it's much, much more. He saved us. He'll keep us in verse number 8. Um, he'll be with us. So as we consider church unity, many causes, there's many causes of disunity. Certainly losing sight of Christ, that he's our number one, the exalting of men, confusing doctrines, those are things that will cause disunity in the church. But how do we have unity? Well, the three things in verse 10 that Paul gives us. We are to speak the same thing, have a clear, united message. We are to be of the same mind. That is focused on love, being a servant to one another in the church and out, and exercise the same judgment. All right, thank you for your attention. We'll go ahead and, um, and conclude there and um, prepare for the morning service. You are dismissed.